Where is seed money going today? How do investment firms decide which early stage tech companies get their capital? Today, we'll be exploring the intersection of technology trends and entrepreneurship. I'm John Pryle. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. Last week, we were in Montreal, and we co-sponsored an event for startups and investors with Fondation and Real Ventures, and we were lucky enough to talk with Jean-Sebastien Conoyer, one of Real Ventures' general partners. Welcome, JS. Hi, John. I'm uh, happy to be here. Uh, well, great. great. We're very happy to have you with us as well. Why don't you great. tell us about yourself uh, and your fund? You know, I've either been a, an entrepreneur or an early stage investor since uh, 1999, always in the IT sector, internet sector. And, um, you know, back in uh, 2007, I started Real Ventures with my partners, John and Alan. And, you know, there were two main drivers to us uh, starting the fund. So the, the first one was more of a, uh, a life decision. You know, we, we all decided to raise our families in Montreal. And at that time, Montreal was pretty much a dead zone for startups. You know, there, there was no uh, very, very limited resources for entrepreneurs. And we wanted to help turn Montreal into a sustainable startup ecosystem. The, the other driver was the business opportunity. We, we uh, felt that uh, you know, with the major trends like cloud computing and open source software and the, the beginning of uh, social media platforms, you know, we, we, um, we were at a stage where a company could get from concept to market validation, product market fit on a million dollars or less, which basically meant that you could you know, you, you could get a good, strong company started pretty much anywhere in the world, and Montreal should not be penalized uh, for the lack of access to, uh, to capital. Did you so, have linkages at that time to any of the universities? So, uh, not, not really. I mean, the, the, um, the university markets, uh, I mean, there, there, are, there is some innovation coming out of the universities, but... Uh, uh, there, there, historically, there's been very few spinoffs that have been successful coming out of the the, the universities here in uh, in uh, Quebec. But but that that in our view is about to change, and we'll discuss this a bit. Um, I think a bit later when we talk about AI. So um, you know, with with the launch of our first fund, so our first fund was a five million dollar fund, and really the the target of it was. Seed, like be a lead investor, value-add investor for uh, tech entrepreneurs who want to build great, great companies, uh, not local companies, but really companies that aspire to, to change the world in whatever sector that they're in. And, uh, uh, but, but be this friendly presence, and, and, but also helping building the local ecosystems, organizing a lot of events, pretty much meeting any entrepreneur that wanted to meet with us. Uh, and starting building this bridge between Montreal and other ecosystems. With our second fund, we, uh, we, we raised a $50 million fund. We also launched an accelerator program called Founder Fuel, which uh, pretty much brought a couple of hundred of successful entrepreneurs, you know, successful people you know, with experience in product, ma- uh, marketing, uh, technology development, you know, whatever a startup needs to be successful – we match those mentors with uh, entrepreneurs 
you know, backing eight to 12 companies per cohort, doing two cohorts per year. So we launched that from the fund to help build the, the, the community. We also uh, launched a, uh, a not-for-profit uh, project called the Nutman House and, and turned it into a startup hub for the, uh, the Montreal community and did pretty much all of that as part of the fund. And then uh, last um, in 2000, December 2013, we launched our third fund, a $90 million fund. And with that fund, we've expanded into the rest of Canada, building a presence in, um, in Toronto. So we now have a total of 16 people, 12 people in Montreal, two people in Toronto, and two people in the U.S. to help support all uh, the companies that we've invested in. You know, we typically invest 250 to 750 to lead a seed round. The Acceler program is different. You know, we'll do 50 to 150,000 in, in those companies. And we'll typically take a board seat in the Real Ventures uh, investments that we make, become the trusted uh, partner of the company, the, the entrepreneurs in the companies, and help them uh, get the best possible Series A that they can get from Canadian and U.S. VCs. And one of the key selling points on your website, and, and obviously we see that with the investments that you've been working on and the ones we've worked on together, uh, you talk about it's not just a partner that when you're making an investment, it, it's really the whole company. Can you talk a little bit about how you support your companies? Sure. So the, the, the team that we've built of 16 people is, is, a, is a very interesting group. I mean, the, the three founders are still involved. But every single person that we've added to the team since then brings in a uh, like a, a, a different skill set than the partners already had. So we brought in a, a growth hacker, for example, who's now a principal with us. We have a CTO also, a geek CTO, who's also a partner with us working on the investment team. We brought in a, a senior partner in Toronto, uh, Janet Bannister, who helped uh, built KGG worldwide and helped scale the eBay as well. So a lot of operational experience, a lot of marketplace experience. And can you explain that, KGG? Yeah, KGG is, um, so basically she she was at eBay at the the time and uh, eBay was looking for a product to to, uh, launch in markets where uh, it was hard for them to get liquidity for the, the traditional eBay experience. So they, they decided to go into the, the listing space, so the Greg's, Greg's List space. And they had this internal project called KGG. And uh, Janet took that product and built KGG worldwide, which is now a multi-hundred million dollar business. Uh, but it's, it's strong in markets that are not big enough for the core eBay, um, the core eBay experience. So uh, Canada, for example, is a great market for KGG, but it's also very successful in some European markets. And so as you're looking at investments today, what sort of themes are you looking for across those investments? So, you know, historically, Real Ventures has been more of an ecosystem uh, and opportunistic investor. So, you know, our first fund was Montreal only. The second one was mostly Quebec with some investments outside of Quebec. This new fund, the, the fund we're investing out of right now, is 80%, I'd say, Quebec, Ontario, and the rest of it is rest of Canada, some U.S. So traditionally, we have not been a theme-based investor, although you know, cloud, mobile, SaaS were all things that we were investing in. Uh, but, but I would say that that's, that's evolving. 
And, um, and some of it is based on the experience of the partners. Some of it is based on some of the investments that we've made. And, and some of it is also based on where we see the world going. So, you know, as a seed investor, uh, you know, we have to invest thinking about what the world's going to look like five to 10 years from now. I'm sure cloud and SaaS are check marks as opposed to Absol- absolutely. So yeah. So right now, you know, if even like I'd say, if you if you think about you know cloud, SaaS, mobile, big data, these are all things that every startup needs to have. Uh, now, I think some of the new areas that we see will be as important as these four, you know, are things like uh, artificial intelligence, right? So. Uh, for us, it's no longer about big data. Uh, it's about what you do with this data and how you use the data and AI to opt- automate your business and automate, you know, automate business processes, uh, automate business decisions. Now, the assumption, so, of course, is that you've got the big data. Uh, and so one of the starting points of that analysis is machine learning as we move to this world of AI. Exactly. You've got a number of investments around machine learning. Can you... S- share how you see that's relevant for startups today? Sure. So, so you know, the, the way we look at AI in general is, like, like you mentioned, you know, you, you have technologies in that space that are a bit more mature. So I think machine learning would definitely fit into that category. And in our view, uh, any company today needs to uh, capture as much data as they can from, uh, from, from their business processes and operations. And they, they uh, then need to use this information and apply machine learning to it to automate business processes. So, you know, and the two main things that you need to use machine learning for, in our view, is reducing your cost of operating your business and, and providing services to your customers, and then uh, optimize the, the quality of the service that you provide to these customers. And, and we feel that t- this is possible today because you now have a number of startups uh, and we have an investment in one of those. It's a company called Datacratic that just launched a, a machine learning database product called MLDB. But you know, companies like that are building the infrastructure that now allows a, uh, you know, just a regular engineer to build machine learning into their, their uh, tech stack and uh, in a way that makes it, you know, ROI, uh, like that provides a, a good, strong ROI. So there's two questions that will come to on that one for me. So Datacratic would be an infrastructure later, layer. Yes. And a company that may want to build, you know, improve on some business process but needs some machine learning tools can use a Datacratic. Uh, yes. There are companies that are both at the infrastructure layer and at the, we'll call it the application layer. Yes. How do you see them requiring different sets of skills to, to, to leverage the machine learning and, and AI? And- yeah. So, so today, uh, to, today to, to use, and, and, and let's, let's not say today, but let's say, you know, in the, in the past few years up to today, to be able to use machine learning, you, you, know, you, you needed the data scientists, so the people that understand the data, understand the, they can build models that you can implement into uh, some machine learning uh, uh, engine and process. And, but then you also needed the, the technical skills to code these things and build them on top of, you know, regular databases that, that, you know, may or may not be suited for it. 
And uh, now with companies, with products like MLDB, products like H2O, uh, Spark also has a platform uh, that, that allows you to do that. The, the machine learning part of the stack is now being uh, slowly being commoditized. And now the, the, the cost remains an issue, and which is a, you know, a big reason why machine learning, in, in my view, is not um, prevalent as much as it, as it should be. You know, machine learning has been used in the past few years more around providing predictions where people are, are about to buy something, right? And, and, and the reason for that is simple, is if someone is about to buy something, the ROI to get them to buy more is very high. So you worry less about the cost of prediction. But when it's about optimizing an internal business process or improving a, a, a service level or a solution, well, then the cost per prediction needs to be extremely low. And the now data set changes for sure on the marketing side. There's yes. lots of data captured on the user and the behavior and the different personas. Exactly. Capturing data on these business processes would be hugely valuable then for some companies that can then leverage these new techniques. Absolutely. And, and what's great about these new technologies like H2O and MLDB is that they dramatically reduce the cost per prediction. So it, it basically creates a positive ROI pretty much anywhere where you could use it. So right now, when we look at startups, we, we push them really hard in, in thinking about, you know, what are some of the business processes that they have where if they could bring in machine learning and automate these process. Uh, and and, and uh, we see, I mean, I, I don't see ourselves investing in any company going forward that doesn't think that way. Will there be a challenge in acquiring talent? And if they can leverage the infrastructure companies, there's still a different level of thinking than being a traditional business analyst, perhaps. I'm not sure. What do you see in terms of the type of talent that people will need to bring on to do this well well so i i think i think that's a it's it's a, it's an interesting question i mean there there are more and more people in school right now that are learning the the you know the the data the data science part of this so understanding data understanding the models now i think that uh we're we're going to see more and more uh, markets, uh, marketplaces, in, in uh, organizations that are um, that where you know models and algorithms are going to be accessible for. Like for example, a, a lot of the machine learning things that you need to get started is open source, right? That most of the algorithms are out there uh, for people to use and download. What's been missing is is more the infrastructure. And and the, um, the the process to, uh, to 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 make it work, and I think you're going more than just the availability of the tools Google's making available. And there's a lot of open source tools. When you say missing the process, can you just go a little deeper in that? Sure. So 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 for example, it's it's about um, what so what type of data do I need to solve a specific problem, uh, which which um and and as as i'm i'm solving this problem what's the right model to use what's the right algorithm to use in 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 uh, to solve which which problem and platforms like h2o and mldb build that in so as a as a user you don't need to be a you don't need to be an expert uh, machine learning person 
to be able to deploy it in your business. And that's, that's, the, main, that's the, the main difference between today and a few years ago. The technology itself has not evolved. The, the algorithms have not evolved that much. Uh, what's what's the, the, the big difference that we see is that uh, the, 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 the new tools are simplifying the use of it. So, so you, as a developer, you can look at it as just, you know, it's like using MySQL. And the, the cost to get value is now at the point where you can now use it in uh, a lot more applications uh, that uh, you could uh, uh, before. So we're going to move from SaaS and cloud and big data being check marks. It's a, I think it's a pretty good assumption at this point that machine learning is going to be a check mark. The tools Absolutely. are available for people to use. Absolutely. So that, that's the first, to me, that's the first the first uh, opportunity in um, in the AI environment is machine learning, which I see as a as a mature technology. the The next one that we're we're spending a lot of time on is deep learning, and uh, you know, deep learning. One way to think about deep learning is is applying machine learning, but at at different levels. So you you take a more complex problem, you break it in different layers, and you apply machine learning at each layer. And then the, the, the changes and, and, or the, 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 the solutions that you find at each layer help you reapply machine learning to, to, the, other, to, to, to the other layers. And this, this new technologies, uh, I mean, it's actually not a new technology. It's, it's been around for a while, but it, it's become commercially uh, viable to use it to, to, to solve uh, problems very recently. And uh, we we've uh, in that space we're we're looking more at investing in in um, in uh, applications. Uh, now I think we'll look at the infrastructure layer as well. But uh, an example of an investment we have in this space is a company called Imagia. And what Imagia does is they apply deep learning to finding cancers in MRI scans. So the, they look at the image of the scan and they can, they can detect whether there is cancer in it or not. And they and have domain-specific knowledge. Absolutely. So it's, it's right? domains. Yeah, sorry. So it's domain-specific data set. Yep. Domain-specific knowledge. It's a new stack, right? Uh, and, and then you, you, you operationalize it in a in a cloud environment. So you still need the cloud uh, expertise there. And then it's how you integrate that into that environment, that space, right? Because you're, you're not going to just create a cloud service that people can upload their, their scans to, to know whether they have cancer or not, right? That's going to take years to happen. But how do you take something like that to market um, between now and, and then? Yes. Co-hosted with you and, Justin Lafayette from Georgia Partners was with you. Uh, he spoke about security first. Uh, yes. We're dealing with these earlier stage companies, earlier in their life cycles. And so you're getting involved as they make different decisions around an investment in security. Uh, you've been involved with a you know, Montreal-based Blockstream, yes. with the blockchain and Bitcoin arena. Can, can you talk a bit how you see these new paradigms uh, changing the security equation in, in, in favor of those that are trying to defend their systems well? Sure. So, um, so you know, security is, is, is an interesting sector in our view because it, it, it applies to different, uh, you know, the 
different aspects. And, and, you know, when, when I, for example, when I look at the blockchain for, for us, the blockchain is the, the next generation commerce platform, right? We, we see it as the core tech that on which all future commerce will, will, will happen. And, uh, you know, in commerce to me is, is transactions, right? It's not, it's not necessarily just selling, uh, chairs, but it's, it's the transfer of, of uh, assets from, from one party to another. I don't now, want to show my age and say, oh, like the mainframe CICS held all the transactions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you, 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 can look, you can look at the blockchain or blockchain type technologies also as like a, a distributed uh, d- database, right? And, and the, uh, on, on the security side, what, what's very interesting about it is that, you know, it, it tracks, I mean, it basically keeps a copy of uh, every transaction that has ever happened on it for the end of time. And, and because the, that copy is on thousands of machines, it becomes pretty much impossible to, uh, to hack. Uh, I mean, economically, it makes absolutely no sense to, to, to hack it. So any, any technology or any app or service that you would build on top of it would, would have this, I mean, as long as, um, uh, you know, as, as long as it's using a, a secure hedge, uh, hedge device or a secure a client uh, and some of, the, some of the wallets that have been built to access the blockchain, uh, you know, use, use extremely, um, I mean, you, you basically need to focus the security on the endpoint only as opposed to look at the, uh, the core infrastructure. So uh, we feel it's a bit early still for for companies to build their business on uh, on these technologies, because you know there, there's still a debate about what type of of um, uh, what type of blockchain technology should be used, and and I, I believe that th- there's probably going to be more than one platform that will win depending on what the application is. Sure, and that's good. So, your know, Bitcoin, which we everyone talks about, Bitcoin is an app, a single app. Absolutely, platform. right. It's yes. How blockchains work. There are other ways, side chains and the like. Um, yeah, so, so keep talking. This is very interesting. Sure. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, what, what the company we invested in, we invest in blockchain, which is a, uh, sorry, Blockstream, which is a, a sort of an infrastructure play uh, that, that is, is, is trying to, uh, turn the um, the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, into a platform that can be used for developers to innovate on. So, so really uh, create a, a an, an innovation wave uh, on on the blockchain, uh, but also to to uh, enable these these developers, these app providers, to benefit from the network effect that's been created. Uh, you know, like these thousands of computers that are out there and provide that security layer. Uh, and so basically benefit from that infrastructure, but, you know, on the, on the blockchain. And that, that, the technology they, they, they launched for that is called sidechains. And what, and what sidechains are really is they en- enable you, a, a developer, to, to create a new app or a new marketplace that will have its, you know, its own rules and regulations, but that will still... Uh, use the um, the blockchain, the core blockchain, for 
for, for the, 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 the security aspects. And, and that's where, um, that's where it differs from, you know, some of the other, uh, technologies that have been launched in this space, like ripple, for example, that basically took the core blockchain, uh, uh core and forked it into, in, into, um, a new environment, same with Ethereum, uh, which is another fork of the blockchain, you know, and, and these, these two implementations are, are interesting, but, uh, they don't have the same, uh, security, uh, strength as the Bitcoin blockchain, because they don't have this network of thousands of computers that uh, have the copy of all the transactions. Uh, and you mentioned that the side chains carry with them the kind of the rules and processes. Uh, is that something that'll help and evolve where we are on privacy and people sharing personal data? Uh, well, sure. So uh, the, the a side chain, for example, will, and, you know, and, and Blockstream is working on that. Uh, you know, the, with, with a side chain, you could create... Um, you know, what would you call it? Like, for example, a, a, um, a smart contract where you could assign any form of any data and, and you can assign uh, rules to, a, um, uh, to an IP address or a, uh, I mean, it, it, right now, I mean, you would call this a Bitcoin, but uh, like a Bitcoin equivalent. So, uh, for example, when someone, when someone is born, you could, uh, every person that gets born could get assigned a, an, a, an address, an IP address. And then as they make transactions over time on the blockchain, you know, assuming that, you know, you get more and more transactions that happen on the blockchain, every single transaction would be tracked, right? And then you, so from a security perspective, you would know the, the you know, these people that, that get hacked and, you know, their, 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 their information gets stolen and their, their um, identity gets stolen. Well, you couldn't do that anymore. So I just saw an article, I think a couple of days ago in Estonia, people are putting their uh, weddings up on the blockchain. Yes. So we, uh, we clearly have a long way to go and it's, I think it's going to be a fun ride for all of us. Uh, any final thoughts you have for us on kind of where you see, uh, you know, getting into, gazing into a crystal ball a bit and maybe some other trends that are out there for us? Well, so I'm, um, uh, th this is a, a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I, uh, I'm very interested in, in uh, communication. So how human interact with each other, uh, but also how human interact with, with machines. And um, one, one area that I, I think becoming uh, very important in the next in the next few years is how we use the how we use machines to uh, become better at communicating and um, so uh, you know if you look at existing social platforms they all they've done really is try to mimic some of the things that human beings already do so for example um and amplify these things. Uh, you know, if, so if you, if you look at, at Facebook, for example, well, you know, Facebook is really about this, you know, this call that you give your friend, you know, once every three months, once every six months to know how they're doing, right? They, they've, they've allowed us to do this at scale, but it doesn't really change the relationship that we have with these, these people. And, 
And, and because of how Facebook has been designed, we end up only sharing the good things about our lives, right? Because it's, it's very public. So uh, in, in, in some way makes us a bit less human. And I think we're going to see platforms in the next few years. And I think some of this will, will, will come from, uh, you know, using AI to, uh, to help us find uh, people uh, around the world with which we are likely to connect, uh, you know, whether it is to do a project in business, whether it is to build a friendship, but identify all these people uh, either near us or, or, or far away that are the right people for us to build relationships with. And, and you know, here I'm, 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 I'm really talking about any types of relationship. Uh, right, but, business, but, business, business, the consumer. Absolutely. Exactly. Ab- I absolutely, right? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think AI will also help us uh, uh, with the discovery process. So, uh, how do, so instead of taking years to, to build a trusted business relationship with an individual, isn't there a, a list of questions or a list of activities that can be done using technology that would allow me to shrink that by, you know, a hundred. So uh, I think the, the data is there, the information is there. And, and we're, we're, I think we're about to see, uh, the, the application of technology to help us, you know, become better, uh, you know, better human beings and, and have more meaningful relationships. Well, that goes so much more. And I, when I made the earlier references, there were old transactional systems where the future is very bright. This was a a very informative, exciting discussion. It was our privilege to to spend time with you today. So thank you again for for your insights. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. There you have it. Looks like our excitement for new technology won't be waning for a while. Thanks for listening. I'm John Pryor for the Impact Podcast.